following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Good morning, Harvest. And why don't you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to finish off uh, the first chapter here, and we're continuing along in our series. And uh, as you do that, um, when I was a kid, uh, I went through a pretty big phase where G.I. Joe was my favorite toy ever. Did anyone? Yeah, I heard a yup. Can I get uh, any, any hands that want to admit that? All right, we got some people. All right, sweet. Um, well, I remember that uh, you were like the coolest kid ever if you had the, the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. You guys remember this? The G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. We got a picture for you, and we're going to get that thrown up. The G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, he had um, like lifelike hair and beard, which made him amazing. And uh, he had this, uh, well, we'll get to it in a sec, but why don't you go to the next picture? The next one we've got, he's, you can collect them all, of course. And he's got a bunch of uh, his friends there. And these were more than just the little, like, three and a half inch figures. These are the 12 inch. These were, these were the big guys. And um, I remember um, that, they, they, that, that you were like the man if you had these. Because um, the reason we really loved them is because they, they, they weren't just like some lifeless object. Right? They weren't. They, 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 they moved their hands. Now, to be honest with you, all they did was really do this. Okay, it's not that cool. But when we were young and we were easily entertained, obviously, um, we loved it because they could, they could grab onto things, right? They could grab onto weapons. They, you could grab onto a, a, a rope or something and swing them across your living room or, or grapple with bad guys and, and all that type of stuff. They, they, um, they actually did something, right? They, they performed an action. And that's what made them so great. Now, the, uh, the extraordinary Christian life, which is what we've been talking about in this series so far, uh, is a lot like that. It requires that, that we have a faith that we put into action, right? A faith that, that does something. We're not, we're not just passive bystanders uh, in the Christian life. Uh, we, don't, we don't react passively to, to things like our personal holiness and, and carrying out the mission of God. We've got a part to play in all of that. Our faith isn't something that just kind of lies dormant and never gets exercised. No, far from it. In, in James chapter 1, verse 25, it says there that we're supposed to be doers who act. Doers who act. Does that describe your faith? Does that describe your relationship with God? Or, of course, we're going to unpack all of that as we go along here. But first, we're going to take a look at the direction we're going here today. It's up on the screen. It's, it's putting my faith in action means I've, I've got a good handle on my behavior and I actually live out the truth of God's word so that my service and holiness are pleasing to him. All right, this is where we're going to go. But before we get to that, let's pray and seek the Lord in these things. God, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us, Lord, a God who, who um, saves us as we've just sung about and we've remembered in communion. Um, God, thank you that you involve us in the game as well. You don't just expect us to sit on the bench and do nothing. You've got a part for us to play. And so, God, I, I pray that as we unpack this, uh, this great section of Scripture, Lord, that you would impress on our hearts the areas of our lives that we need to change, or some of the ways that we need to step up. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in those things and really light a fire in us and a passion for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, God, fall on us by the power of your Spirit in here. Lord, teach us through your word. Change us. Make us like your son, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read the passage then. 
We're in James 1. We're going to read uh, verse 19 down to 27. All right, it says this. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently in his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. For if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, be to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, well, so far in the book of James, we've looked at um, some of the hallmarks of Christianity, some of the, the characteristics of what genuine faith looks like. And, and so far, we've talked about how Christians will, will persevere through trial. Right? They, will, they will endure those kinds of things. They will have an unwavering faith. And then this passage that we've just read now uh, shows us how our faith will generate a response out of us, actions that we will carry out. Okay, so here we go. Okay, putting my faith into actions means I've got a good handle on my behavior. That's the first thing. Just take a look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay, so right off the top, what does James do here? Well, he gives us, he gives us a good list of what our behavior should look like, okay, specifically as it relates to the way we interact with people. And so we'll go through this. It says there, uh, we need to be quick to hear. We need to be quick to hear. It means that as we grow in our relationship with the Lord and as we're changing, uh, we should be developing this ability to, to listen carefully to those around us, to, to hear them out, to, to find out like, what's, your, what's your story, and to listen carefully to, to their way of thinking and their, their beliefs and all of that. Like, well, why, why exactly do we, do we need to listen that carefully? Well, because then we'll know how to help them. Right? Then we'll know how to reach out to them and have, a, have an effective ministry. We'll, we'll, we'll understand them, first of all. And then we'll know, like, hey, I, I need to give this person um, advice and, and wisdom. That's what they're hungry for. Or they just need to be encouraged because they're super down. Or maybe they're, they're off in a bad place and they need, they need a bit of a rebuke there. What, what else does it say? It says that we should be... Slow to speak. Should be slow to speak. When our, our responses to people are careful and measured. That's what he's talking about. Now, if you want to see the, the opposite of slow to speak, just go online. Right? Just go online. And we, and we see, I mean, honestly, are Christians sometimes not the worst at this? How we behave ourselves and how, how we carry ourselves online? You look at, at uh, blog posts and the comment strains underneath that and how people vent and go off and on about on Facebook, about all kinds of things, right? We, we're very quick to speak in those situations. And sometimes it's in a very, a completely ungodly way, right? We're not, we're not bringing any glory to the Lord through all of that. It's because we're so quick to shoot our mouth off and, and share our opinions. And they haven't really been well, that well thought through, but hey, I got something to say and uh, I'm going to say it. Okay, it's careless. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't please the Lord. And then it also says there that 
that we need to be slow to anger. Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, of course, there is a time for righteous anger. Right? That's when we get angry about the things that God gets angry about. But that's not what this is talking about here. This calls it very specifically the anger of man. The anger of man. In other words, sinful anger. And now, interestingly enough, this word does not, does not necessarily mean the, the explosive outburst of angry, anger where we're just losing it and we're flying off the handle. Maybe that's what you think when you think of anger. And you've seen that before in your life or in the lives of others. But what this word really means is it's referring to a, a kind of an inner deep resentment that smolders. That's the thrust behind this word. So this is the kind of anger that, that might not be all that visible to those around you. It's, it's in your heart and you're dealing with it. And, and of course, the Lord sees all of it. Let's not kid ourselves there. And, and ultimately, ultimately, anger always, always has an impact on our relationships. Right? It always does. It says here that the anger of God, um, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not produce the righteousness of God. Another way of putting it here is just that, that sinful anger does not accomplish what is right in God's eyes. Right? It's, just, it's not getting it done. It's, it's a bad plan to let yourself get wrapped up in anger. Right? It's not going to be good for you. I mean, just ask the, ask the wife of an angry husband. Right? Or the children of, of an angry father. There's some consequences for anger. Our relationships suffer if we're not slow to anger. All right, so James, he gives us some good examples here of how to behave in our relationships. And then he kind of he zooms out on the whole thing and, and takes a look at, at our behavior just in, in terms of, of sin in general. And he says there in verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And literally, this means, means get rid of all moral pollution, and superabundant evil. I don't have to play with that. We're not to, not to enjoy that. Let's get rid of it, he says. Now, some of us have heard that kind of thing millions of times because we've grown up in the church and, and we've come to, come to services like this countless times. But others, maybe we're, we're new to the faith. You know, or we're just checking church out and, and now what's this guy saying? And we, and, we don't and we don't really understand. We don't get it. Okay, but, but the point here is that, that being a Christ follower is going to change your behavior. The way that you think, the way that you act, the, the way that you speak and, and express emotion, all, all of that really is behavior, right? All of, that, all of that changes. And he says there, he says there that we're supposed to put Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, uh, do something about your behavior. Right? Do something about it. Perform an action that, that leads to change in your life. There's a responsibility there on our part. And by the way, behavior, it's not, it's not just some external thing. Right? Where it's supposed to come from the heart. And what I mean by that is we're not supposed to live lives where we're just kind of putting up appearances and, and pretending that everything's all good and clean and washed on the outside. But on the inside, it's, it's, a, it's a disaster, right? And, and we're not dealing with it. We're not supposed to be like that. True godly behavior on the outside, it's, it's always a product of what God has done and continues to do on the inside. That's the behavior that the scripture is talking about here. It's not fake. It's not hypocritical. 
It's heartfelt. It's real. Okay, so faith in action here, it means you're not just sitting back. You're not just kicking your feet up, waiting for heaven someday. I don't have to care about my conduct or anything. Yeah, you do. It means that you're doing everything in your power by the grace of God to become a godly person, to be that, to, to behave as a Christian should behave. It means you've got a good handle on it. I'm on top of this thing now. Now, if you were to, if you were to tell me that you've got uh, a good handle on your finances, let's say, uh, what would you mean by that? Well, it would mean that you're in a pretty good place with how you spend your money. I don't, I don't spend it foolishly. I'm, I'm, I'm not blowing it. I'm not in debt. Or if I am, I'm trying to get out of debt and do as best I can there. I, I, I save more than I spend. Right? I've, got a, I've got a good handle on my finances. You have a, do you have a good handle on your behavior? Do you have a good handle on your behavior? Are you in a good place with that? At the very least, are you working towards getting into a good place? Right? Because it's a process. The growing is, it doesn't happen overnight. None of us become mature immediately. And another thing is maturity doesn't mean perfection. How do you view mature people in your life? Maybe it's elders and pastors, or maybe it's uh, grandparents or family members or whatever it is. How do you view them? Do you view them as, like, man, they would never make a mistake? You sure about that? Sure they would. Right? Maturity doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't matter how mature you end up becoming. You're still, you're still going to behave poorly at times. You're going to have those kinds of, of bad days. It's not like we ever arrive to maturity and, and we're like, man, I've, I've achieved it perfectly now. Man, did you get a load of how awesome I am? Try and keep up. Right? We're not like that. No way. If, if we ever get to that place, that's all bad. That's pride. Right? We're in trouble. So again, how's your behavior lately? How's your Christian conduct? Is it going pretty well? Maybe not so much? You feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of in a rut. You know, I, I've, I, I know what I ought to be doing, but I'm, I'm kind of stuck. How do, how do I get out of this? I feel like I'm in a slump. Right? And we all go through that kind of, those phases, those times in life. Well, I've got a, a couple of slump busters here for you, and they're going to be up on the screen. And these are uh, five ways... All right, five ways or five steps to break out of my slump and change my behavior. All right, so here we go. Here's the first one. Identify your problems. Identify your problems. Now, this might seem obvious, but I think a lot of the time we go through life and things aren't going so well, but we've never really sat down to think about, hey, what's causing this? My life's so busy and we've got so many things going on that I've just sort of let this thing go and go and go. I think it's really important that we, that we take some time to really think about this and identify what are the issues in my life that are causing things to be not such a, not such a great place. For you, maybe you need some kind of a spiritual retreat or something like that. Or you would, you, would, you would leave, maybe it's for a weekend on your own, just with a Bible. Get rid of the phone. Get rid of all that stuff. Maybe it's for like just an hour. Like, hon, take the kids. I got to go and I got to get some things right and I got to think about this. Hey, figure out where you're weak. Figure out where you're susceptible to failure, where you're where your blind spots are. Really important that we do that. And go, go beneath the surface of just the symptoms. So if, if something like, like gossip is your thing, and man, I just love talking about issues in other people's lives. 
Right? Don't just confess that, hey, I went and told somebody something I shouldn't have. Th- think below that. Like, why am I such a gossip? Is it, is it because I have such an insatiable desire for control and I feel like I control someone else's life when, I, when I'm a gossip? Or for you, maybe it's, it's maybe more of a, I think I'm better than a person. I like that feeling. When I've got some news about them, it kind of kicks them down a level and puts me up top. See how that's getting below the surface? Start dealing with that stuff. All right, so that's the second one. Third one, then. Deal with the sin involved. Deal with the sin involved. And this is where we're talking about repentance, really. And repentance is just, is just that. It's confessing my sin. It's dealing with the sin. It's, I, I'm, I'm going to apologize to God for it. I'm going to apologize to the people I've hurt for it. I need to actually deal with it. Because sometimes we can come up with like a game plan a little bit, like, hey, I know what I need to do better, and then we kind of forget about the repentance part, and that, that we just kind of drag that around like a weight the whole time. We need to repent. And, and Matthew 3, 8, I love it. It says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, in keeping up with it. Okay, so dealing with your sin, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be a once in a blue moon type of thing for you. We just, we just took communion together, right? Is that, is that the only time you've confessed your sin this month? When was the last time you confessed sin? Was it last time we did communion? That's not such a great plan. Right? We, it should be something we're consistently on top of. Don't get the laundry list of sin going where you have this big pile that you've got to deal with. Deal it with it as it comes. As it, go, as it comes, you can deal with it, all right? Deal with the sin involved. Third one, come up with a realistic action plan. Come up with an action plan. It needs to be, it needs to be achievable. It needs to be achievable. Don't be like, well, I'm never going to go on the internet again. Really? Like, that's dumb. <laughs> You're going to need to go on the internet again at some point. All right? So try and, try and figure out a way that this is achievable. It's, it's realistic here. And, and try something new. If you've, if you've you know, done the same thing over and over and over again to try and get out of a problem and it hasn't worked, newsflash, you probably need to try something else. Right? Do something new. Come up with a different, a different plan be brave enough to change long-standing habits that are dragging you down the wrong path. It takes courage. When we change the things that, that have gotten us into the rut in the first place, we're like, man, what am I going to do without that? This is how I'm used to living. Do it. God will be with you. He'll help you. Fourth one, tell someone about it. Tell someone about it. This is about being accountable. We need to get accountable I mean, real accountability. Make sure that someone will hold you to it, and if you fail, they will shame you publicly. Just, no, that's like the worst plan. <laughs> okay, not that. But it's got to be more beyond like the, like, hey, Steve, I blew it. And Steve's like, all right, we move on. Like, that's not accountability. It's got to be like, the person who's going to be there to help you work it through. They're going to pray for you. They're going to they're gonna help you. Go to God's word and find some verses, some nuggets there that are going to really apply to that situation. People are going to help you figure out the game plan. That's what accountability partners look like. Here's the last one, number five. Get going already. Get going already. There does come a time where you just need to do it. Enough talking, enough thinking, enough planning and strategizing and all of that. Just do it. You've got, you got to do something. You gotta put your money where your mouth is. You gotta, you gotta take that step of faith and believe that God will be there with you in that moment. Right? And all of that really leads us to the next thing here. Okay, putting my faith into action means that I actually live out 
the truth of God's word. And live it out. Take a look at the last part of verse 21 there, partway down. It says, And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is such an incredible line. It says, first, that we need to receive with meekness. You ever had someone confront you on an issue? Like, hey, I think it would go a lot better for you if you did this instead of that. You know, they've offered you some constructive criticism, some pointers on how you can improve whatever, something. Well, when you, when you receive that advice, it means that you've accepted it. You've agreed with them about it. And you've accepted it with, with meekness, the word says there. Now, meekness, let's be clear about this. It does not mean weakness. It doesn't. Now, I'm not sure if this is entirely fair or not, but I think we can blame um, this, this belief that, that meekness equals weakness on those really old school, I think 70s era um, paintings, pictures of Jesus, you know, that you would see in, in like those old churches, usually in, in the children's ministry room in the basement somewhere. And, you know, Jesus is, he's usually, he's wearing like the nightgown and he's, he's laying down on a bed of flowers and it looks like he just used like a, a hair straightener, you know, and he's usually petting a lamb, like that kind of thing. And on, on, underneath, what does it, what does it usually say? Something like, Jesus, meek and mild. You know, and I think, I think those pictures, have single-handedly ruined the word meekness for like a generation of people. Like, man, I don't want that. Right? It, it seems like, it seems, it seems weak. Why would I want to be that? Yeah, well, meekness doesn't mean weakness. It just means humility. It means humility. But what exactly do we, do we need to receive with meekness or humility? Well, it says there the, the implanted word of God. The implanted word and what this is suggesting here is that as Christ followers, we should never think of ourselves as, well, I'm done with the Bible. You know, I don't really need it anymore. I'm, I'm, I got saved and, and I know that I'm going to be going to heaven someday. So I guess I'll do whatever now in the meantime. And, and uh, who cares about the Bible? Okay, wrong. The Bible is it, it's a permanent fixture in our lives. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely inseparable part of us. It says, it says there that it's been implanted in us. So kind of like what, what Jeremiah talks about, it's been written on our hearts. It means it becomes a part of who we are, and we keep coming back to that truth. We keep reading this book time and time again. Why? Because the verse says it's able to save our souls. That word, that word save there, now it, it refers to sanctification. Okay, not justification. Justifi- uh, justification is great. That's, that's what happens the moment that you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you become a Christ follower. You are then justified. It means that you have been declared righteous. It means that God no longer holds your sin against you. He's taken care of that. He's paid the debt. The, the penalty is done. It's been wiped clean. You've been justified. It means that you've got a parking spot in heaven waiting for you. Or you've been saved positionally. Right, that's what justification means. Here it's talking about sanctification. That's what the word saved means. What's that? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the process of becoming more holy. Okay, so we get, when we get justified, back to that word for a second, okay, we're declared righteous, but practically speaking, are we still kind of messed up and sinful? Yeah. So sanctification now is where God starts to work that stuff out of us uh, for the rest of our life. Okay, super important. 
And it's telling us there that the implanted word, it heals us. It, it rescues us from, from all of our sinful decisions that we've made and the ones that we could potentially still make. That's why we receive the implanted word. It gives us wisdom. It shows us the right path to follow, how to live life properly. Now, these next verses are critical as well because they show us exactly what the, what the reception of God's word in our lives will, will look like. This is, this is how it all plays out. Ready for this? Verse 22. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, again, receiving the truth of God's word, it means we actually do something with it. We act upon it. Okay? We don't just hear it and then that's it. We, we, we do what we've been taught. We, we practice what we're learning. My faith's in, in action. Now, this, this verse couldn't be any more crystal clear if you look at it. If we're not doers of the word, if we're hearers only, as it says, it says, then you deceive yourself. You're being deceived. You're, you're a fool. You're being duped. All of that. Right? Our faith is in action. I think what this is really getting at here is that, that it can be extremely easy for us to hear teaching. Something like this right now in a church or, or a radio ministry maybe or, or a podcast that you listen to. We hear that. And we can think that in the hearing of it only, I've done my part. Right? I'm done. This is all I need to do. I, I listened to good teaching today. Now, of course, we need, to, we need to submit ourselves and sit under solid Bible teaching. Right? Pretty crucial that we do. But, but the incredible, okay, the incredible challenge that we see here in the text to to all of us, is that we actually need to, we need to do what we're being taught. Okay, so for example, if, you, if, you're being, if you're being taught to be slow to anger, we talked about that this morning? Yeah. If you're being taught to be, to be slow to anger, it means that you can't just go, oh, okay, I hear that, and then do nothing. That's not good enough. It means you've got you've to do something about your anger and so the, the big challenge, the, the colossal challenge, really, for all of us who, who hear sermons and listen to podcasts, and I would say even those of us who read scripture, I think reading would be included in all of this, right, is, is we have a responsibility to apply it to our lives. And that's, 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 not, that's not a small thing. Right? We should feel the weight and the, the burden, in a sense, of all of that. I mean, think about it. How much Bible teaching have you heard over the course of your life? For some of us, it's been decades of coming to church. These verses show us that we're, we're responsible to apply all of it. Not some. Not, hey, I like that sermon, but not the other one, so I'll work on this, but not that. That's not how it works. If we don't, then we're not doers of the word, it says. We're hearers only. And then in verse 23, it says, Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. Okay, so if you don't, 
you don't actually live out the truth of God's word here, it says that you're like a dude who goes into the bathroom and he, he gets himself all ready and makes sure that not a thing is out of place, but then as soon as he walks out of it, he's like, man, what color is my hair again? Do I wear glasses or I can't remember, right? It's, and the point of James's illustration here is that it would be ludicrous to imagine anyone actually doing that. He says, but hey, that's you if you're a hearer of the word and you're not a doer. It's a big deal. We need to actually live this out. If we don't, it's just going in one ear and out the other. Okay, you ever tell your kids to, to pick up their toys or, or take out the garbage in the, in the kitchen or something like that? What happens? Like four hours later, you step on that toy that you said put away, and it's, it's always Lego. I don't know why. Even if you don't own Lego, that's what it is. Or, or the garbage has stayed there, and it's now stunk up your house, and... Right? That's, that's being a hearer who forgets, not a doer who does. And then verse 25 continues all of this. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, so think the Bible, the law of liberty, which is freedom, that's what we have in Christ, and perseveres or sticks with it, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Now, a doer who acts. You notice that part? You'll see that there, that's, that's really like a double positive, a doer who acts. It's kind of like saying, like a carpenter who builds, or a comedian who jokes. Same sort of, same sort of idea. It kind of seems redundant. But it's, but it's making the point here that this is the person, obviously, who's, who makes things happen. Right? They're on top of it. They're doing this. That's the kind of disciple that, that God expects you and I to be. That's the kind of disciple that says that God blesses. He will be blessed in his doing, is the verse. They really, really key. Don't settle for anything less than that. We're, we're doers who act, which means that we, we actually live this stuff out. I guess the question to ask then is, is do you apply God's word? How, do you, how, do you, how, how are you doing with that? It's going well. Is it not? Like, for example, when you take notes during a sermon, I see a lot of you doing that, and it's great. What do you end up doing with those notes? Do you, do you go back over them, and, and do you, you know, seek the Lord, and, hey, I want, to, I want to apply this to my life, and I want my life to mirror these things that I wrote down and these things that, that I was listening to and being taught? Do you do that? Or do your notes end up being like, I don't know where those went. They got lost. You know, I just kind of throw them in a file and never look at them, or, you know, I spit my gum out into them. Right? You do that with your notes? How about small group? Okay, you're going to be showing up to, to small group this week, eager to, to take these truths and make them stick in your life? Or will your small group this week be more about you just kind of showing up cold? Man, was I even at church Sunday? It was like two days ago. I don't, I don't remember. You know, I hope my, my leader doesn't, doesn't ask me anything or expect much from me because I don't remember a thing. And, and, and what time does this thing end? Right? Is that going to be your small group time? Look, we're all, we're all going to have days like that. We really are. We're, we're lazy and we're not doing anything to live this out. In fact, we might be going in the wrong direction a bit. In fact, if you think about it, we've all heard way more than we'll ever be able to remember, let alone apply. Right? That's true. But here's the thing. Don't be too quick to let yourself off the hook about it. We can do that. Ask yourself, is this this passive attitude in my life, is it becoming a pattern? 
Uh, am I being persistent enough to, to put these truths into effect? You know, am I, am I living this stuff out or is it becoming more just head knowledge where I know a bunch more things? Is my brain smarter or is my heart being changed? These are important questions. So don't just listen. Don't just be a hearer. Do. Act. Now I had a, a pastor friend who used to, um, he told me he used to always cringe when people would come up to him after one of his sermons and, and they would be like, like, hey, thanks pastor, I, I really enjoyed that. You know, and give the little, the little pat on the, on the side, on the back. He'd be thinking, what? You enjoy that? He's like, I just, I just spent better part of an hour kicking you in the teeth with God's word about how you're a, a sinful, depraved wretch. And you're telling me you enjoyed that? Now, let's be clear. I think sometimes when people come up and say things, and this church has always been super encouraging, when they come up and say things, they're trying to be nice. And, and they're trying to en- encourage. And sometimes they were, they did genuinely enjoy it because it brought them out of a dark place to a good place. That's what the power of God's word will do. Okay, but, but sometimes those, those comments seem to reveal more of, a, more of a, hey, I don't remember what you just said, but can't wait till next week. Right? Can't wait to watch you bleed out all over the carpet again for us. It's going to be fun. Right? It's, it's, more, it's more consistent with a, a hearer who forgets than a doer who acts. So let's work hard at this. Let's be doers who act. Big responsibility or small responsibility? Answer? Big. Yeah, it's huge. All right? So putting my faith in action requires that I've got a good handle on my behavior, and I'm actually living out the truth of God's word so that my service and holiness are pleasing to him. You take a look at verse 26 here. He says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, Todd's, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, he's going to expand on, on taming the tongue in chapter 3, 1 to 12. That's basically the whole message. So we'll leave that part for now. Um, But notice here how James uses the words religious and religion. And he carries those into verse 27. Take a look. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, let's get this out of the way. Um, How many of you have ever described Christianity to somebody by saying the words, um, it's not a religion, it's a... Relationship. Let's see. Let's see the guilty parties here. Let's put our hands. My hands up. Okay, I've done that kind of thing as well. Um, well, according to this verse, do you think that's maybe the best? Not the best way to handle it. Okay, maybe not. At the very least, we need to understand that there's really two different kinds of relationship or uh, religion. Okay, two different kinds. And the first one is like a, a legalistic religion. That's the kind of religion that Christians always talk about how much they hate and even though we're all legalistic in a lot of different ways and 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 we we just we treat religion like a bad word. It's a legalistic religion kind that we're talking about. So that's one side, the other side is pure and undefiled religion like we see here in this verse. So let's cover the legalistic religion first. Okay, when we say something like like Christianity isn't religion, what we really mean there is that it's it's not just about obeying a bunch of rules. Okay, that's, that's legalism. Or, or you know, legalism is where we try, to, we try to earn something from God. We try to earn forgiveness. We try to earn favor. 
We try to earn his love through our performance. So, you know, we're dancing a jig over here, hoping that God's going to be real impressed with that. Okay, that's legalism. Okay, true Christianity isn't just empty religion in the sense that it's not about an outward mechanical obedience to a bunch of, of rules, but our hearts super disengaged. Okay, so all the things that we do as believers, things like reading our Bibles and praying and, and you know, being on mission and going to church, all of that kind of stuff, um, none of it causes us to become a Christian. Right? None of it does. Maybe you've heard the quote before that, that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Right? It's a good line. All, all of that to say our works, our effort, our performance, our behavior, none of that saves us. None of it does. The Bible teaches really clearly that we're saved by, by grace alone. It's, it's a gift. God, God gives it to us. It's a, it's a part from our works. Okay, so so we're, not, we're not saved by our works. But understand this. We are definitely saved to do good works. Okay, and that's what this pure and undefiled religion is really talking about. So let's unpack that. What's it say in the verse? It says it's uh, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, it's, it's to serve others. P- particularly the, the needy, the, the marginalized, the, the down and out. And it says there also to, to keep our, ourselves unstained from the world. In other words, live a holy life. That's, that's pure and undefiled religion. Hey, but, but wait a second, Mike. I, aren't those the kind of things that, that legalistic religious types do to try and earn favor from God? Well, yeah, sure. They try and do that. The difference here is in the motives. It's in the motives. Okay, serving others and, and a commitment to holiness is, is pure and undefiled. It's the good kind of religion when it's done from a motive that says, man, God has done so much for me. He has rescued me from sin. He has brought me out of death. He is changing my life. I'm a new person today, and I was, a, I was in a bad place yesterday. Of course I want to live for the Lord. Of course I want to obey Him and help other people out, and, and I want to stay away from sin because that just got me into so much trouble. Okay, you see the motive there? It, it's, it's gratitude. It's love. It's because of what Jesus has done. See, legalistic religious types, they don't have that kind of motive. At the end of the day, they're doing those things from a motive of fear. They're like, man, man, I hope God's really impressed with, with what I'm doing right now because I sure could use some love and forgiveness. You know, I hope I get that. Or, or you know, I, I hope that, that God doesn't punish me now because look how great I've been this week. You see the difference in the motive? It's fear. Now, when you, when you become a Christ follower, okay, and you, you begin to put your faith into action, you're, you're doing it because you're so thankful to the Lord for everything that he's done. You're so thankful for, for who he is. And you're, you're legitimately fired up and excited and passionate about doing all of those things. You're excited about your behavior. You're excited to, to live out the truth of God's word. You're excited to take care of, of widows and orphans. And, and you're excited about living a holy life. 
You're pumped about it. That's, that's the kind of religion it says that, that pleases God. It's a response to everything that he's done. So you guys striving for that? I mean, are you going after it? Not like I'll get to it tomorrow. No, today. Now. It, it, it absolutely requires action on your part. But it's the very thing that will make your faith, make your relationship with the Lord, incredible. So I'm going to pray now. We're going to ask God to, to press these things into our mind, press these things into our heart, make us more like Him. God, thank you so much for this group of people and for bringing them all here today. And God, I pray that we would not leave here um, with a laissez-faire attitude towards your word. But Lord, I pray that we would, be, we would be eager and energetic about our faith, Lord, and, and living for you in a way that, that requires real action on our part. God, I pray that you would you would push people. Lord, some people here are in the rut. They're in the slump. They need to be pried out of it. God, would you do that by your spirit? God, I pray for those who are who are very active in their faith, but it's all legalistic. It's all trying to get something from you. They don't realize that you've already given them everything. God, I pray that the truth of the gospel would ha- have a, take a deep root in their hearts. Lord, I pray that, that our lives would be honoring to you. Lord, I pray that, that you would see what we're doing and, and, and be excited about it and continue to encourage us to continue to grow. That, that others would be very much affected by it in a good way. So God, we love you. And God, we thank you for how you are gracious and you are working in our lives and you haven't given up on us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.